This episode of the MedSort Podcast is brought to you by Arena. Arena works with medical device manufacturers to help them bring their products to market quicker and more cost-effectively through their cloud product lifecycle management system. Arena's product lifecycle management system allows every participant throughout product development and commercialization to work together in a centralized system and effectively keep track of product designs, engineering changes, and associated product information to accelerate the design and delivery and ensure regulatory compliance of quality medical device products. You can find out more at arenasolutions.com. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the MedSort podcast, which discusses the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm the more familiar voice, Ian Bolland, but I'm joined by well, two newbies because there's been a bit of a change in our department over the past year. I'm joined by Olivia Friert, who is the editor of Medical Plastics News, and Rebecca Jordan, the editor of European Pharmaceutical Manufacturer. Welcome to you both for your first, well, first outing on the MedSort podcast. I'm actually going to start with Olivia next to me. Uh, because Rebecca is unfortunately at home and she's got car trouble, but more about that later for those who really want to know. Um, Olivia, welcome to the MedSort podcast. Thanks, Ian. Um, first of all, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. How long have you been with us now? Um, so I've been here um, about nine months now. Um, started in March and yeah, it's going good, yeah. I think. How, how are you finding the world of medical plastics? It's interesting, you know, you learn new stuff every day. I like it. Good to hear. And Rebecca, all the way there at home. Um, how are you finding life with European Pharmaceutical Manufacturer, also known as EPM Magazine, to those that are very brand familiar? Thanks, Ian. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely an exciting field. Um, it's one that I underestimated. You know, it's always something you kind of hear about on the news and, you know, you're, you're learning what it's like Pfizer and COVID and all this stuff, but you never actually seen what goes on behind the scenes. So it's definitely a lot of, it's a fast paced field and there's a lot to learn, um, but I'm going with it swimmingly. Okay, then. Well, you said there's a lot to learn, Beck. I'm going to probably put you uh, on the spot here. What have you learned most so far? Um, I think it's just a lot of what I've seen, um, the trends that I'm noticing is a lot more AI and automation going on in pharma. Um, I, I kind of always assumed it was a very manual based field. It was all laboratory work. It was very hands on deck, um, slow processes. And then now there's this ongoing trend about kind of automating everything, taking away manual labor. Um, and one of the interesting things I've noticed is um, so that in terms of incorporating AI and, and apps and things, and there was always the situation that's going on now is that the pharmacists are able to communicate through AI and kind of eliminate this problem of drug shortages because obviously across the supply chain it's not really as resilient and robust as it should be so um, a problem we've got going now you might have seen in the news literally the past day or so um, is that there's a penicillin shortage going on in this country that I believe the government is refusing to acknowledge um, and it's kind of incorporating AI and trying to stop these drug shortages issues because penicillin's been around for years and it shouldn't be short, especially in a country like the UK. Um, and AI is supposed to be this power of connecting everyone worldwide and sort of filling in the gaps and allowing everyone to communicate real time and prevent issues like that. So it's a very exciting field in pharma also. 
Uh, thanks for actually introducing one of our first, uh, well, contemporary stories of the day. Um, and thanks for getting the first dig in about the government. That's usually my job, Beth. You're going to fit in very well coming on coming onto this podcast. Um, you know what? I'll, let's rejig the agenda a little bit there, Beth, because you you, you started about the drugs, drug shortages and, uh, and strep A. It's obviously a massive, massive concern for, well, especially for parents out there who, whose kids just suddenly become unwell. Um, but in amongst all of that, there's massive queues at A&E. People are waiting hours and hours to be seen. People are not necessarily being referred to there. So I'm going to kick off by suggesting that backlogs themselves have been the story of 2022, now that we are, quote-unquote, living with COVID. But it seems that the knock-on effect for other health other health conditions is is so vast to the point where we now need technology to step in. As has any anyone here, aside from myself, had an experience with the NHS in the past year? Um, I've had quite a few experiences, but mine haven't been as bad as what other people are experiencing. I've been in and out within a couple of hours. So as long as you've got a set appointment, you're fine, basically. Yeah. And give us a little bit of insight as to kind of the tech that's being used is it was it anything in, in there that you saw that was unexpected like you hadn't seen that before you hadn't seen something used as part of your treatment plan before or was it i mean to be honest after working here for nine months nothing's really I, I, every time i go to the hospital now i'll see something and just immediately think oh that's for such and such a thing like it's changed my mindset now working here Beck, have you managed to keep yourself out of the out of the hospital and the doctors? Um, yeah, I haven't noticed anything major. I mean, the times I have been, I might have gone early this year, but there's been no extreme waiting times. Um, I'm glad they've stopped the kind of mask wearing situation in hospitals, um, especially for patients, because that was always a nightmare. Um, but no, nothing. I think one thing I noticed when I went to one of the recent pharma shows is that there's a lot less focus on designing drugs that are generic so to speak so there's a lot less focus on say designing paracetamols ibuprofens or your painkiller drugs there's a lot more focus on in innovations and making drugs for crazy diseases you've probably never heard of because that's where the money is so i'm not sure if that has any link to it whatsoever that's an interesting point you make but we'll come on to that when we talk about because we have got a little section dedicated to the shows that we've been to this year but that is actually a really good point i do want to come back to um, because I think everyone there's uh, well, everyone in the office has known about my experience of 17 hours in the Navy hospital chair, which was, which speaks to the massive backlog the NHS is facing. But I also noticed that there's so much tech out there that we cover on MedTech Innovation News, on Medical Plastics News, and and on European Pharmaceutical Manufacturer that probably we think there's there's still these huge barriers for them being adopted properly and being rolled out across NHS trusts. Um, and we and, and I've noticed that. As of today, and I'm sorry that I didn't share this with you earlier, people, but um, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, who's our third this year, by the way, um, has called for a little more action from the NHS. I mean, he's a Prime Minister. I'm sure he should be, you know, steering that, as we are now at 7.2 million people are waiting to start routine treatment at the end of October, which is up from 7.1 million. Uh, in emergency departments, 68.9% of patients in England were seen within four hours. I wasn't one of them. Um, 
That is not a dig at the NHS, by the way. That's very much a dig at how it was underfunded and terribly run at the moment by those in power. But we shall move on, uh, <laughs> because I get the feeling that the government rant was going to come along and Bex already stealing my thunder on that. Right, we're going to move on now to... Well, Beck, come on, let, let's actually talk about your recent trip to CPHI, because you, you... Well, I think you actually just touched upon it in terms of where the money is, rather than... Talk to us about the crazy diseases then. I mean, what what kind of crazy diseases did you pick up on that we might not necessarily have heard of? Okay, so now I don't want to say crazy diseases. Don't link me to that quote. Okay, well. <laughs> but I was going to say more, say orphan diseases. That's a term I've picked up. So I believe, I mean, again, don't quote me on this, but orphan diseases are affect, I believe, less than 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's... It's strange because obviously it's not something that would affect the masses, so you wouldn't think well, that's where the money is. But it's a it's a ongoing trend in in pharma. Um, but there was also this conversation that all these innovations are kind of focusing on drugs that, you know, for example, uh, one of them they were trying to take out insulin of being a vaccine and making it a pill to swallow instead, and how that would actually help compliance and patient adherence, and it would be something that you know, it's rather than injecting yourself, say two or three times a day, you take a pill. Um, but then this focus on like your, your generic painkillers and all these other drugs that you're so used to seeing every day, that's less focus on that. And maybe that has a link to say the penicillin incident. I'm not too sure, but it seems like we just, I feel like in the UK, we tend to just assume that we've got everything, you know, we, we've got all the supermarkets filled, we've got all the shelves filled, we have no issue whatsoever. And then sooner or later, it's like, oh, we've got none left didn't realize that and i think in the news article it was saying that there's no communication or there's lack of communication between the government and the pharma industry you know the pharmacists are saying there's no drugs here we're telling you there's no penicillin the government's like yeah we promise you there is there is so i'm getting echoes of um, ppe during covid here where there was said there was ample supply of ppe and then you've got doctors and nurses wearing bin bags on the front line as a form of protective clothing it seems as though in, term, in terms of procurement and lessons learned, and we're back to government again, lessons haven't been learned. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Okay, well, thanks for that, Beck. Um, I believe that wasn't the only show that you went to this year, Pharma Pack as well. Yes, uh, so I'm going to say Pharma Pack felt like a fraction of what CPHI was. I don't think anything could have prepared me for the amount of steps I was going to do at CPHI. Um an opportunity, I'm just going to slip the, the in there as well, is that there was actually an opportunity to enter a competition of who got the most steps out of CPHI. And I feel like I only noticed that once I came back and that was an opportunity missed. Like that was a gift card. Um, so that's something to note for next year. Um, but Pharma Pack, yeah. So I think both shows altogether definitely put you on the front line of seeing what the industry is like. Um, it's something that you never, you're never really going to learn behind an email and behind reading websites of companies you know you've got to actually see what these companies are presenting to you um to see drug delivery devices in person um and kind of have the communication with experts and have the opportunity to ask questions and say okay can we just start from the bottom i'm new here you know tell me exactly in layman's terms what exactly you are presenting and just treat me as a blank slate so it's definitely it's definitely helped build up my knowledge and appreciation now it's time for a message from this week's sponsor. PTC by itself, I mean, uh, is a Boston-based company. 
uh, we are uh, leading uh, when it comes to a digital threat, uh, digitization, let's say. So uh, probably a lot of people know PTC from ProEngineer in the early days and now, now called Creo. And then PTC has a very broad portfolio now uh, across the, the value chain, thinking from IoT solutions like Thingworks, AR solutions like Buforia, uh, PLM solutions like Windchill and, and now Arena. Uh, and also CAD solutions, as I just mentioned, like Creo, but also a, a pure SaaS-based CAD solution like like Onshape. So very broad portfolio serving multiple markets, uh, including life science. And that was a brief message from our sponsor, Arena, a PTC company. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, Liv's experiences now of, well, you've been to glamorous California. Um not Los Angeles, unfortunately. You went, you went Anaheim for uh, MD and M West. That was your first trip out, and that was what a month into when you started out. It, it wasn't even that, Ian. It was about two weeks. <laughs> I, I know I accompanied, I accompanied you on the trip, but how did that feel looking back? Um, to be honest, it was very, very surreal. Like obviously, it was very exciting getting there, and then um, seeing it all. It looked, it looked huge. So. Yeah, that was very surreal. But um, getting to put faces to names and getting to see like products in person was really helpful. I mean, I think you've got a few listed down here as to what you've covered over the years, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll probably blanket in your trips as well because we not so long got back from Compromed and Medica in Dusseldorf, and also in between. And we must must mention this is our very own show, MedSec Innovation Expo, which also has its magazine edited by yours truly. Um, if you want to contribute to next year's uh, edition, please, please get in touch. So um, you've come across a couple of companies that in, partic- in particular you worked closely with, I think BioInteractions have certainly been one of your favourites. And BioInteractions, by the way, for those that are familiar uh, with the Mental Podcast, there is an episode um, from last year, which is very much worth listening to, because I think Olivia is about to describe a lot of what she learned that might be a bit of a crossover. So, take it away. Yeah. So they've been going for now thirty years. They're coating experts, but they've recently, just this summer, had their most recent coating trident um, tested to work for three hundred and sixty-five days. Um, so the antimicrobial coating. Can work on implants, things, you know, catheters, things like this, and it can be inside your body and be protected from any pathogens. For it doesn't actually say that after a year it will stop. It's just not been tested for longer than a year, but it can stay protected for up to a year, which I think is incredible. I think one of the things that uh, that they always tell us is when you shake our hands after after being sprayed with it, they're, they're disinfecting everybody they shake hands with. Yeah, so you yeah. can. So they have like this hand sanitizer that you put on, and then if I shake hands with someone or touch a surface, then that is then protected too. Like, yeah. And I can see Beck smiling away here because Beck, you also experienced this at our show as well, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I was kind of t- took away the pharma hat for for a couple of days and actually experienced the med tech industry, which is just as exciting. Um, but I did, I did enjoy the spray. I was definitely in queue to, to buy that soon. Okay, um, so that was BioInteractions. There's a couple of other companies that I think you wanted to highlight. Yeah, so there's a company called Blue Tree Medical um, that's been making these face masks that are transparent 
and um, for people who rely on lip reading and um, they actually found out that 46% of Brits are believed to lip read as part of everyday communication so you know it's not just people um, with hearing difficulties it's nearly half the nation that's obviously been affected by wearing face masks and not being able to see people talking. Can I give a bit of a segue into that? I know this isn't on the agenda necessarily, but it just made me think, how often do you look at someone when they're talking to understand what they're saying? I always look at people, but I look at their eyes. Like, I've never, like, looked at somebody's lips moving. I yeah. always like, look... I'm looking at yours now because I'm yeah. conscious of the, the story that we're, <laughs> that we're talking about. Beck, is that something that you've ever done where you just look up close to someone just to see what you're actually saying? <laughs> yeah, I remember when everyone was wearing the masks and it was it was always making conversation a lot more difficult. And whenever you go inside a shop or something, you'd always have the glass screen as well. So then that would cut off the sound. So then it's like, I can't see what you're saying and I can barely hear what you're saying now. And this conversation is just lasting 10 times longer than it needs to. I think you just nailed what Blue Tree Medical were trying to achieve there with with their innovation. I think um, a big thing for me was smiling. Like I love going to people who smile. Like, you know, like if you walk past somebody, just smile at them and then, they couldn't actually realise that you were smiling at them. They probably just thought you were just staring at them. You see, this is why I like the masks. For people that I didn't particularly <laughs> like, I could, I could grimace behind the mask and just go, mm, not really a fan of you. And they wouldn't be none the wiser. I, think, I thought the masks were great for that alone. Um, yeah, and another one was when we were at Compromed, we saw um, this head cooling equipment by Primacil. Um, it was originally created by Paxman and launched in... 2000 mm-hmm. but then Primacil and the University of Huddersfield made further developments to improve the effective effectiveness of it. Can you can you just give us a little bit more insight into what this actually does? Yeah yeah of course um, so it's a cap that goes onto somebody's head during chemotherapy um, and because it's cooling down the hair follicles you're a lot less likely to lose your hair. Um, obviously this is for cancer patients um, it can affect the patient's self-image and confidence and things like that so the cap is works for that yeah exactly and there's one other big story that has dominated this year that we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of companies get to grips with uh, and that is sustainability uh, I'm going to ask the two of you a question now and I'm not expecting much of an answer I'll not lie so please don't feel fresh to actually answer this can you try and define sustainability, either of you? Um, well, to be honest, I always thought um, that it was just like the most, like recycling and just people being very waste conscious. But going to these shows made me realise that it's not just that simple. So you could have a multi-use thing and obviously you're going to think that's sustainable. But then um, I think it was Trelleborg we were speaking to that mm-hmm. argued that... Um, then you've got to think about cleaning it and then, you know, using all of these chemicals and things and arguing, is that then sustainable? So I think it's different to every person. Beck, anything else you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I'm going to jump in with um, a bit of my um, GCSE geography days here. (laughs) Sustainability, and I remember it was kind of maintaining and preserving, like, resources for future generations. It was always about the future. So although recycling was always that big thing of okay yeah make sure you recycle make sure you know we, it will turn something new and we can reuse it but then it doesn't really tend to happen that way you know it's about maybe not necessarily recycling as much maybe using a different material to start with or putting it back in the environment in a different way but I think it's 
it's kind of like what Liv said. It's like it's it's a huge concept, but then every industry kind of takes different parts of it and kind of makes it their own. Yeah, um, that sounds about right in all fairness because I think there's actually a piece I did, it, well, that was done, done for us by Boston Scientific in uh, the latest issue of, the, of MedTech Innovation where it's uh, there's so many different layers to sustainability. It's not necessarily recycling or reusable, the sterilization factors to include transportation of goods. These are all now being factored in by companies and it feels like something of a very difficult balancing act when it comes to going green so to speak um well that was a whistle stop to sustainability and i challenge anybody else to actually get sustainability defined and covered as, as much as we did there in less than two minutes because i think we did that quite well girls <laughs> um, so i'm gonna move on a little bit with our whistle stop tour of everything that we've done this year because you you you've both come across uh, something that i think sent to you can someone tell me what cyberchondria is? Um, do you want to take this one back? Um, I think you did a lot more research than me. You go for it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so cyberchondria, they basically just named it when somebody has a few symptoms, Googles it, and then decides to self-diagnose themselves and then assume the worst, basically. they've. It's now called cyberchondria. How many times have you Googled your symptoms on the internet? Um, I used to, and then I'd, again, think the worst and go to the doctors, and it was absolutely nothing, so I've leaned away from Googling it myself. It turns out you're not losing a leg, you've just pulled a muscle. Exactly, yeah. Right, okay. I mean, glad we, I think we've all been there. Well, I think the problem is, though, is that I don't think, you know, you always hear so, like all the NHS is like bunged up with so many people, and then COVID happened, and it was like, oh, if you don't really come to the hospital unless you've got COVID, and then, or you'd call up the doctor, and then you'd have to go through the list of, no, I haven't got a cough, no, I haven't got a sore throat, I just, I, I like, I have a headache or something, you know, and you've got to sit through all these questions. Before you know, it's been like half an hour. So I think people, at the end of the day, just like convenience, and if it saves you booking, waiting, you know, to find out it's nothing, it's all about convenience, isn't it, and Googling it. I think you just read my mind a little bit there, Beth, because I think this is actually speaking to a lot of what people are experiencing. They're, they're told not to go to A&E. They're told not to go to the doctor. There's all sorts of pressures on the services. So no no wonder there is an element of, quote-unquote, cyberchondria. People are going to be searching their symptoms because they're quite conscious of the, pre- the pressures that the health service is under. But I think this is probably going to lead us nicely into what we can expect from 2023 um because i'll go first on this one because i think we're seeing a lot more technology out there which is aimed at keeping people at home treating them at home whether that's because from 2021 onwards we saw self-testing for covid uh whether that was your oximeters as well taking your temperature people were more were or checking the symptoms at home because they couldn't go out and i think that's a legacy that's followed uh, lots of the population now have, uh, have have trackers on their phones or smartwatch, for example, where you can read certain vital signs. I get the feeling that if digital infrastructure is brought up to up to scratch, we're going to see more and more about preventative healthcare, keeping one another fit. So we're reducing the burden on the health service, especially at a time where it seems to be well creaking. Yeah, um, I think we're going to look maybe more at a lot of 3D printing. I've now seen um, a lot of stories come in about, you know, like 
knee hip replacements, being able to use screws that dissolve after the certain amount of time that need is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I'd known about that a few years ago. I've got metal pins now, but anyway. Um, yeah, so I think the 3D printing is going to be a lot bigger in the medical market. I mean, it's got a pretty big presence already, but I think you're right in, say, in saying that there might be a little more of a, a look at it in terms of, well, hang on, we can produce things rapidly here. This might be a good resource for us to try and do something quite quickly and hopefully cost-effectively. Beck, the world of pharma. I think we've seen um, we've seen tweaks to COVID vaccines this year. Um, now the worries about antibiotics and strep, right? What? I mean, I'm asking you the most impossible question here. 2023 in pharma, what are you expecting? Um, so I think the biggest one, I mean, I know we've touched on sustainability, but I think it's from what, from talking to experts and things, it's, it's becoming more, I think I've mentioned this before, um, but it's, it's becoming more of a key essential part of, of investing in a pharma company rather than a USP. So it was kind of, um, you know, quite a few years ago, maybe like 10 years ago, it would be, yeah, okay, we've made this new drug. Yeah, it's great. Okay, yeah, all this waste kind of happened. It's not great for the environment. We need to mass produce it, which also isn't good for the environment. We've got distribution centers, which are far away from each other, which is going to increase all transportation costs and energy and everything like that. But as long as your idea and your innovation stood out, then it didn't really matter. Whereas now investors... You, I believe, is that they're saying that sustainability metrics are like a key part of showing to investors now. So mm-hmm. it's one thing to say you've got a drug, but okay, how, how what was the environmental impact? What was the carbon footprint of that? And if it doesn't obviously match and doesn't show it's actually, you know, quote unquote, sustainable, then you kind of lose out. So I think that's something that's kind of growing now is, you know, it's it's becoming this essential part that unless you show that it's not wrecking the environment, so to speak. It's not really worth investing in. That's um, one thing I actually didn't think of on the investment side of things, where you've got where there has to be basically a sustainability package put together for investors to see if you, if you are a credible investment. Now, I mean, that, that, I think that's a really interesting angle to look at going into twenty twenty three. In particular, given economic conditions as the way as the way they are, and the world supposed to be heading into a recession. I know we are in a recession in the UK already, so. Um, yeah, I think that's a really, really good, good one to look out for. Um, and just on the back of that as well is just the the idea of, of startups as well. So a lot of talks at um, the CPHI show were that you have all these CDMOs and CDOs that are there. So obviously you have small startup companies that maybe have the drug and the idea and the innovation, but they don't actually have the resources and the facilities to actually produce that drug on a mass scale. So mm. you go to these you know, CDMOs and they have all the facilities in place to essentially and all the handling equipment to actually produce it for you. Um so it's it felt like a more of a, a focus on a startup market rather than the leading organization. So the big farmer. It seems like there's more focus on startups than, than the big farmers. That's what it seemed like. It seems okay. to be the future going forward, which is quite interesting. Okay. You know what, Beck? I think you've actually rounded things off quite nicely there, unless there's anything else that either you two would like to add. I just want to quickly ask you in in your med tech world, what's what stood out to you in the past year? Because I know med tech's it's huge industry as well. And there's so many different devices for tracking like blood pressure to like testing lung conditions. I'm curious, like from your perspective, what's what's good in the med tech world? I think 
MedTech's at a very interesting point right now because of what, hap- what has happened during the pandemic and there's been this acceleration towards more digital solutions. Uh, I think one thing to look out for, and I think sustainability aspect is going to be one of them, Beck, and I think that's across MedTech, pharma, medical plastics. It's definitely a big factor. But one thing I'm really interested in, and I've got a piece going on the, the website, and uh, it's probably going to be out around about the same time as this, but about the relationship between AI and hardware manufacturers in the medical device industry because hardware is probably seen as the old and ai is probably seen as the new and i don't necessarily buy that but i'm interested to see how they're going to continue to marry together particularly as you know it, it seems that companies are trying to make health services change strategy with, with whatever innovations they've got they want them to be more preventative they want things to be able to monitor people at home I think also, speaking of monitoring people at home and putting data in the cloud, I think there might end up being a, a little a little more concern about the security of people's records and the data. Uh, it's always a question I ask in, in interviews is that how you can guarantee it. I do wonder whether, especially given the client we're living in, in an information world or a disinformation world, if you like, whether people are going to be as forthcoming with parting with some very very personal data even if it's for the for the best for them to be you know to, to be accessed by clinicians remotely and things like that yeah it's all about data now isn't it it's all over the internet it is <laughs> okay so um thank you both of you for participating in your first episode of MedSub podcast the girls will be back in 2023 and i imagine they'll be doing interviews themselves they've only just found out about that bit but thank you to Olivia, thank you to Rebecca, and it is December, and this probably will be our last episode of the year, so from all of us the Medsub Podcast, have a very Merry Christmas, and we'll see you in 2023. Thank you. Bye.